The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Praise the Lord. It's good to be here. It's always good to be with God's people in God's house to worship God. And I see these front pews are plagued in this church, too. Just about every church I've been in, something about the front pews, people don't like them. I do spit, but I don't spit that far. So, well, it's good to be with you today. I'm excited about this opportunity, always excited about the opportunity to preach the Word of God. I'm glad to be at East Delta. I've never been to East Delta Baptist Church, but I grew up, as the old folks said, I was reared in Charleston, Texas. I grew up here as a little boy, so very familiar with this area. Some of you older folks might know me, uh, some of you younger may not, but it really doesn't matter who I am, it matters who Jesus is, amen? If you've got a copy of the Bible today, if you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 8, and when you find that place in Romans chapter 8, we're going to read a portion of a verse. I want you to stand with me when we read God's Word, just in honor of God. And while you're standing, everybody move up two pews. We'll see how stubborn y'all are this morning. Come on down. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? Say that with me. What shall we say to these things? Now, I want to just personalize it. What shall I say? Let's do it. What? shall I say to these things. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your holy word. And Lord, I ask you today, Father, I confess today that I am nothing and I am needy. And God, without you, I can do or say nothing of eternal value. So I cry out for that unction, that Holy Spirit's anointing today to preach the word of God. And Father, I pray for those sitting under the sound of my voice today will have ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church. And God, you will change our lives today that we'll leave the place different than we came. Father, we love you. We praise you. We just commit everything into your hands right now. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to look at the verses that follow this one verse. You may be seated. We're going to look at the verses that follow this partial verse. But before that, we're going to look at some verses before that. And many of these you already know if you've been around church life. But you know, I've come to the conclusion in my own life, of course, God saved me for such depths of hell and, and changed me and done so much in my life through the years. And I've been through so many trials and things that I've come to understand how much God really loves me. But I think one of the problems in the church today is people don't really grasp how much God really loves them. People don't really take it to account and really meditate and understand and realize what God's done for them. And so I want to share some things with you because Paul asked a question and he asked four more questions after this that we're going to look at later. But he asked a question, he said, what shall we say to these things? What shall we say to these things? Well, if you back up in Romans chapter 8, I want to just go through a few things before we get into the meat of the message today. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So there's no condemnation in our life. Now listen, we can come under condemnation, amen? We can let the devil put us under condemnation. We can put ourselves under condemnation, but according to God's word, there's no condemnation now in our life. 
And if you go on and read the verses in verse 2, it says, For the law of the Spirit of the life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. In other words, our own strength could do nothing. God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Now look down in verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Now Christ lives in us and he's quickened us and he's made us alive. Amen. He's made us alive in Christ. We were dead in trespasses and sin and he's made us alive. And it always just blows my mind when I think about the very creator of the universe that created everything seen and unseen lives in me. And he lives in you. That ought to change your life. That ought to stir you up. That ought to get you excited. And he goes on to say, therefore, brethren, we're debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Now, when the Bible speaks of the flesh, it's not talking about this meat on our bones. It's talking about our own stinking thinking. It's talking about our old nature, our own way of doing things, our own human reasoning. We don't have to obey ourselves. We can obey God. Amen. Your debt is not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Now look on with me. <clears throat> if you'll listen fast, we'll get through today pretty quick. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. So we are sons and daughters of God. If you're, if you're a Christian and you're a man, then you're a prince because your father's a king. If you're a Christian and you're a lady, you're a princess because your father's a king. We need to grasp these things and understand for you have not received, it says, the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption. He's adopted us whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That word Abba, Father is Daddy. Daddy God. I mean, he's our daddy. And he goes on to say, The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God. In other words, we're an heir to God, to the king, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. So listen, we're heirs of God and heirs of Christ, with Christ. So we've inherited the kingdom of heaven. I mean, doesn't this stuff excite you a little bit? Doesn't it, doesn't it stir you up a little bit to realize? Listen, and, and you can go back over to Romans chapter 5, 8 when he says that God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knew all about the ugliness of our life. But yet he died for us and then adopted us and made us his children. And he goes on in verse 18. So he says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And so, yes, there's going to be suffering in this life, but there's going to be a glory that will so overwhelm it, it can't even be compared to it. Verse 24, we are saved by hope. Not <clears throat> for what man seeth, that does he hope for, but if he hope for what he sees, then he do with patience wait for it. Now listen to this. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. That's our weaknesses, our cracks and vessels. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, 
because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. We don't even know how to pray, but the Spirit of God prays through us. He prays in us. He prays for us. Let's just go on. And we know that all things work together for the good, and it didn't say all things were good, but everything's working together for the good for them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called, and whom He called, them He also justified, and whom He justified, them He also glorified. In other words, this is all past tense in the mind of God. We've been called, justified, and glorified already. Amen? You don't feel glorified, do you? But you have been glorified. Now, we need to understand that we need to believe what the Word of God says and not how we feel. Amen? If we could get a hold of this today, I believe if we could really get a hold of this, we'd get some excitement going in the church. Listen, you go to a ball game, you're going to get all kinds of excitement. My Lord, what's happened in the church? Nobody shouts, nobody says amen, nobody raises their hand, nobody gets excited about the kingdom of God anymore. We ought to be celebrating more than anybody in the world. Now, back to the message. Paul says, what shall we say to these things? Now, there's four things that I want to talk to you about, and we're going to move right on through those. The first thing Paul says, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, he asks the question, and then he answers it. God be for us, who can be against us? The question is not who can be against us, because there's a lot of things that can be against us. Amen. You ever had anything against you? I mean, we can have disease, inflation, corruption, exhaustion, poverty, people. I mean, the real question here is, though, if God be for us, who can be against us? Listen, God is for us. God is for us. God is for us. God is for us. Amen? He is for us. We need to realize today, your may have forgotten you, your teacher may have neglected you, your siblings may be ashamed of you, but within the reach of your prayers is the maker of the universe. God, your Father, Abba, Father, Daddy, God is for you, not maybe, not has been, not was, not would be. God is for you today, at this hour, at this minute, God is for you. Many people have the perception of God as he's, he's sitting in the heavens looking to, with a magnifying glass looking to burn you as an ant if you mess up. Listen, God's looking to bless you if you'll just let him bless you. God wants to bless us. He's for us. Isaiah 43 and 1 says, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and that formed thee, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When the pass through the fire, the waters... I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow. And when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burnt, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Isaiah 49, 14. But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. And, then, and God says in verse 49, 15, the next verse, Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? And then he says, Yea, they may forget. Yet will I not forget thee. God says, I'll never forget you. And in verse 49, 16, I love it. He says, behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. God says, I've written your name right here. Listen, child of God, you're special. You're special to the King of kings and Lord of lords. He has your name, very name written in the palm of your hands. 
We need to realize today that God is for us. The question is if God be for us. Amen? And He is for us. Now the second question he asks, look at this. He says, if God be for us, who can be against us? And then he says in verse 32, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The next question is not uh, about, the, the first one's about the question of protection. The second one is the, uh, the question of provision. Will God not provide for us that he saved us? You know, I, I see people all the time, they get saved and they live like they're in, in spiritual poverty. They have no joy, they worry, they fret uh, about everything, and they don't have no joy in their life. Listen, God's going to meet our needs. He's promised to do that. Now let's suppose with me a man, he comes upon a young boy, and he's being beaten by thugs. And so the man beats the, the, the thugs up, runs them off, and he takes the boy and he takes him to the hospital and he puts him in the hospital. He pays his bill. He stays right beside, his, beside the bed. He nurtures him back to health. He takes him home and he adopts him and he brings him into his house and he buys his clothes. He feeds him. He puts food on the table. And then one night he hears the boy in there just a weeping and a crying and going on. And he goes in to see what's going on. He said, son, what's the matter? And he said, I'm just worried about what I'm going to eat tomorrow and what I'm going to wear tomorrow and what I'm going to do. Would the dad not say, son, look what all I've done for you. I've adopted you. I've made you my own. And I've given you everything. Would I now let you down? Listen, God is not going to do that. Listen, the father would be rightfully troubled. This is Paul's question. Would he who gave his only son for you and adopt you into his own not meet your needs but still we worry don't we we worry about the IRS the SAT the FBI we worry about education recreation enough money not managing the money we have and on and on listen we need to realize today we don't have to worry about things God's got this amen I don't know what's going on in your life but I know we all have troubles and we all have trials but listen God's got this we need to learn to rest in God and trust in God and, and lean upon the everlasting arms. Amen? So we can live a life of joy and an abundant life. John 10, 10 says, A thief comes not to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. Listen, we try to take too many things into our own hands and we try to do it all on our own instead of just trusting God. And then we start worrying if it's going to work out or how it's going to work out. Listen, worry and faith is like oil and water. They don't mix. When you're worrying, you don't have faith. We need to quit worrying. I had a couple in a home Bible study I did in my home a few years ago. And uh, we were on this particular subject. And the man and his wife was there. And one of the elders in the church that I attended, and uh, of course it was an all-open discussion, and he just said, well, Pat, she wears about everything. I said, I told her one day, I said, Pat, 99% of the stuff you worry about don't ever happen. Pat said, then I started worrying to make sure it wouldn't happen. Huh? Amen or oh me? Listen, we, we need to realize God has got this. Listen, would God teach you to walk just to watch you fall? 
Would he teach you to swim just to watch you drown? Would he be nailed to the cross for your sin and then disregard your prayers? Listen, the Spirit himself also prays for us. We just read that. He makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And he prays according to the will of God for our life. Is the scripture only teasing when he says he'll give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways? Matthew 6, 31 through 34, I love, says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take no thought, therefore, for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. That word take thought means to worry. Don't worry. Quit worrying. Amen? Listen, you can't focus on Christ and and be in love with Christ worrying if he's going to take care of you or not. Listen, he's already proven that. He's already proven that on the cross of Calvary when when he was killed and brutally murdered for our sin. And he gave his life willingly. We need to understand today that protection we have because God is for us. You know, if you look around in the things and the condition of the world today and the things that's happening in the world today, if I didn't know Christ, I'd be, I'd be scared to death. But I know God. I've read the end of the book. God's got this. Amen. I know who's in charge. I know who's in control. And I can trust him. Well, Paul asks, is, what shall we say to these things? First, protection. God's got that. Provision, God's got that. Now the next one is about guilt and shame. I'm going to get off my P's here and say I don't have a, all P's in, in order. But the next question he asks is about guilt and shame. And then he says, <clears throat> who shall lay, in verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Guilt and shame. We live under guilt and shame a lot because we listen to the lies of the devil. Amen? We let the devil lie to us. We believe his lies. We swallow it hook, line, and sinker instead of knowing. And listen, that's why it's so valuable to know what the Word of God says. Because you take the Word of God, it's the sword of the Spirit, and you put it in the devil's face every time he comes at you. Amen? Well, we need to recognize today that God is the one that died for our sin. Nobody else, not man, not our, ourself, nor, nor the devil can have a right to accuse us unless we allow him to. Now I want to tell you another story. Illustrate this a little bit. There's a little boy named Johnny and a little girl named Sally, brother and sister, and they went one summer to spend a week with Grandma. Well, while they were there, Johnny had a birthday. Well, he gets a present for his birthday, and guess what it is? Now, they've been called different kinds of things, but I'm going to say this, and you should know, you country folks should know what I'm talking about. He got a slingshot. You know, it's the deal like you hold it here and you pull it back, wham, and you take a rock. I used to kill rabbits with those things down here in Charleston, Texas. They're pretty powerful. So he's outside, little Johnny is, 
<clears throat> man, he's got a birthday and he's having a ball. He's pulling that slingshot. He's hitting cans and posts and popping it here. And he walks up around the corner of Grandma's house and looks in the backyard. And right out there by a bush stands her grandma's duck. So he pulls back and goes, well. And then he says, I probably can't hit it anyway. Pow! Right in the head, dead duck. So little Johnny runs out there and he grabs the duck and he pulls it up under the bush so Grandma can't see it. And about that time he looks up and standing in the window is Sally waving at little Johnny. So that night, after supper, Grandma said, Sally, time to do the dishes. Sally says, oh, no, Grandma, Johnny wants to do the dishes. Johnny says, I'm not done. She said, remember the duck. So Johnny gets up and he washes the dishes, gets through reluctantly and goes through it. Next morning after breakfast, Grandma says, Sally, it's time to do the dishes. Oh, no, Johnny wants to do the dishes. Johnny says, I'm not doing it. She says, remember the duck. So... Johnny washes the dishes again. This goes on for two days or so. Finally, little Johnny, he gets fed up. I'm not washing any more dishes. I'm done. I'm just going to go confess to Grandma that I killed her duck. So he goes to Grandma, and he says, Grandma, i got a confession to make. She says, what's that, Johnny? He said, I killed your duck the other day. She patted him on the head, and she said, I know, Johnny. I was looking out the window that day, too. I was just wondering how long you was going to let Sally make you wash the dishes. <laughs> now, that's a funny story, but there's a moral to that story. The devil is accusing us day and night before the throne of God. And all we've got to do is confess to God, and we don't have to deal with the devil. Amen? Because God, the Father, is always looking out the window. He always sees and always knows everything that happens in our lives. And so we just have to get honest with him and confess it, and the devil has no authority in our life. Listen, when you live with unconfessed sin in your life, you give the devil an open door to accuse you. He's going to accuse you constantly. You have been accused, you will be accused of immorality, greed, anger, arrogance. Every moment of your life, your accuser is filing charges against you. Neglect your priorities. He'll jot it down. Abandon your promises. He'll make a note. Try to forget your past. He'll remind you. Try to undo your mistakes. He will seek to hinder you all day, constantly. It says in Revelations 12, 10, and 11, And I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now has come salvation and strength and kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And it says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. Constantly, daily, the enemy is accusing us of things that we do. And we all fail, and we all sin. But listen, 1 John 1, 9 was put in the Word of God for this very purpose. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You know what the problem is? We don't believe that. 
We don't really believe that. So we don't go and confess our sins. We don't realize, and it says, this is like salvation passes over men constantly because you have to turn from your sin and ask Christ to come in your heart and accept his death on the cross. And in our mind, in our human mind, that's just too easy. It can't be true. But yes, it is true. Amen? And the same thing is walking with God. Listen, the Christian life is a life of repentance and faith. We're going to fail God, but as you're going this way, you fail God when you do your own thing. You repent, you turn to go this way and put your faith in the death of Christ on Calvary's cross. And it's a daily thing, it's a constant thing, is to live a life of repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. That's how we're to live our life. And wash and keep a short sin list. Be clean before God. Listen, the devil is constantly accusing you before God day and night. Amen? He's the prosecutor. But guess what? You know, the Bible says we have an advocate with the Father. You know what an advocate is? An advocate's a lawyer. Guess who our advocate is? Jesus Christ. Listen, we've got the best lawyer in the universe. And his father's the judge. Hello. It's a win-win situation. We just got to stay honest with God and get honest with God. Isaiah 50 and verse 7 says, For the Lord God will help me, therefore I shall not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Lo, they shall all wax old as a garment, as the moth shall eat them up. And then Romans 3, 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We no longer have to be a slave to the accuser. Confess and repent and receive forgiveness. And complete pardon. Listen, constantly coming before God, confessing our sin and realizing that He loves us and He died for us and He forgave us. And I already quoted this or said, talked about it, but 1 John 2 1 says, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. If any man sin, and when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, a lawyer, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is a propitiation for our sins, a substitute for our sins, not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. Now there's one more thing and we'll be done. There's the question about protection, question about provision, are both answered. Then the question about guilt and grace is answered. Then the last question he asks is, is of endurance. How long will God's love endure? Does God really love us forever? Not just on Easter Sunday when our shoes are shined and our hair fixed. We want to know deep within. We really want to know. How does God feel about me when I'm a jerk? When I snap at anything that moves? When my thoughts are gutter level? Did I cross the line? Did I drift too far? Wait too long? Slip too much? God answered your question before we ask it. So we would see he lit the sky with a star so we'd hear it. He filled the night with a choir and so we'd believe it. He did what no other man dreamed. He became flesh and dwelt among us. He placed his hands on humanity and said you are something special. 
God sees every one of His creation. He saw us before we were born. The Bible says before we were formed in our mother's womb, He knew us, and He loves what He sees. The star maker turns to us one by one and says, You are my child. I love you dearly. I am aware that someday you'll turn from me and walk away, but I want you to know I've already provided you a way back. And to prove it, he did something extraordinary. Stepping from the throne, he removed his robe of light, wrapped himself in skin. The light of the universe entered a dark world. He who the angels worshiped was conceived of the Holy Spirit in the womb of a peasant and was birthed into the cold night air, slept on cow's hay in a stable. Mary didn't know whether to give him milk or give him praise. She gave him both since she was both near as she could tell, hungry and holy. Joseph didn't know whether to call him Junior or Father, but he called him Jesus since that's what the angel said. God said in his coming, can anything make me stop loving you? Watch me speak your language, sleep on your earth, feel your hurts. Behold the maker of the sound. He is, and as he sneezes and coughs and blows his nose, you wonder if I understand how you feel Look at the dancing eyes and the kid of Nazareth. That's God walking to school. Ponder the toddler at Mary's table. That's God spilling his milk. You wonder how long my love will last? Find your answer on a splintered cross on a craggy hill. That's me up there, you see. Your maker, your God, nail stabbed and bleeding, covered in spit, sin soaked. That's your sin I'm feeling. That's your death I'm dying. That's your resurrection I'm living. That's how much I love you, the firstborn son says. Can anything come between me and you? Will God's love endure forever? Paul goes on to say in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And then Paul says something in verse 38. He says, I am persuaded, for I am persuaded. And I want to tell you, I want to give you a short resume of Paul before we go into the rest of this and finish up. Paul said he was persuaded about something. We're going to see what that is, but it's the endurance of God's love. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 through 28, there's a little short resume of Paul, the apostle Paul. He says, of the Jews, five times received our 40 stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night in the day in the deep. And journeyings often in perils of water. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils by the heathen. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. In weariness and painfulness. In watchings often. In hunger and thirst. In fastings often. In cold and nakedness. Besides those things... That without, which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Paul said, that's a pretty good resume, isn't it? Paul had literally been through hell on earth. But he said something here that's very, very important. Now it makes more uh, power to me when you see that. He says in verse 38, For I am persuaded, I have been convinced, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Listen, child of God, you have everything that this Word of God says you have. 
Get a hold of it. And not only that, listen, we, we need to, we need to, we read the word of God. We need to understand it. We need to read it. We need to study it, but we need to let the word of God read us. You need to get in the word of God, but you need to let the word of God get in you. Because when you know what it says, and I don't mean just a mental knowledge. I'm talking about that 12-inch conversion that takes place sometimes. People get saved intellectually, but they're not saved till their, till their spirit gets saved. That 12-inch knowledge, to get it in our spirit. Now, I want to share this, there's, and you probably know these things, but I want to share this as we, as we close. There's two different words in the original language for word in the Bible. And one word for the word is logos. That means the written word. We've got it right here. Amen. The other word for word is rhema. And the word rhema means the spirit-breathed word. When God makes it personal in your life. Now you've read the word of God and read the word of God. And you've read the same passage. And one day something gets you and something just grabs you out of that passage. That's when God speaks rhema word to you. So we need to get the word of God in us. We need to let the Word of God be in us. We need to read it and pray and seek and know and hear what the Word says. Amen? Because this is, this is the only thing we have that's absolute. Heaven and earth will pass away, but He says, My Word will abide forever. Listen, playing church won't get it. Going through a religious routine won't get it. You need to get it down to a personal level that I have a Father that lives in heaven. And he also lives inside of me here on earth. And he is my God and he is my Savior. And he's got it all took care of. Amen. Let's stand for prayer. I'm going to ask the young man to come. We're going to have an invitation. I, I just believe we ought to have an invitation. Every time the word is presented, give you an opportunity. As you sit under the sound of the, 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 the word this morning, you may not have ever truly accepted Christ into your heart and been born again. I don't know. Only you and God knows that. But today, just what was spoke of from the Word of God can be yours by simply repenting of sin and asking Christ to come in your heart. Or you may be here today and you just, you've just been worrying and fretting and going on. You just may just need to come up here and just give it all back to God and say, God, I surrender to you. I yield to you. I trust you once again, Lord. Again, forgive me for not trusting you. And let God refresh and renew your spirit. Whatever the need is in your life, God can meet that need. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you and praise you for this divine privilege, Lord, to bring the word of God. And Lord Jesus, I pray today that everyone on the side of my voice, God, would deal with you, do business with you today, whatever that business might be. Lord, be glorified, be magnified in Jesus' holy name. Amen.